welcome to Uphill Conversations. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host, Tim Pecoraro. Are you ready to be inspired? Hello, and welcome to Uphill Conversations. I am your host, Tim Pecoraro, and I am glad that you can join me as you are living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully, you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So this episode, I have a great interview with a man, Michael O'Neill, from, or he's the host of the Solopreneur Hour, a great guy, um, just a uh, someone who I've been looking forward to speaking with, and it's just like uh, what I say I want to be with you. It's like a ride-along partner. He and I have a ride-along conversation, um, and uh, so we cover all kinds of stuff, And uh, but before I get, uh, get you over to the show itself... I want to say thank you for supporting the show on iTunes, um, Uphill Conversations, and on Stitcher, as well as the Facebook and some of the um, wonderful things that you have shared with me, some of you, and some comments, and some emails. If you do and would like to send me questions, thoughts, ideas, things that are on your mind, please do so. I would love to even share some of those on the show. You can do that at connect at uphillconversations.co. That's not .com, .co. That's connect at uphillconversations.co. And of course, the website is uphillconversations.co as well. But anyways, Michael and I have a, uh, a wonderful conversation, a ride-along type conversation. I mean, we talk about music, um, the importance of you know your work as well as having fun, how to deal, how to turn losses into gain, basically, and perspective on loss and... Um, as well as how a little practice and being consistent with that practice uh, adds, it's just great gain and can actually put more tools in your toolbox. But um, just listen to it. It's a great, simple conversation. Um, You'll have some things that you can take away and apply to your own life. But most importantly, um, this is a very successful guy who I believe is doing significant work and I think you'll enjoy it. So without any delay, Here is my interview with Mr. Michael O'Neill. I just want to talk to Mike, the guy, this man, Michael. That's what I want to do. And and even around just the different areas of interest, your music, you know, voices, the different influences that you have in your life. I'm not really impressed by people and their success. Um, I'm more impressed by significance because I believe success comes along with being significant. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty strong opinions. Everybody has them, and I understand that. But, man, I just – what I really like the most about you is you're relatable, even to the fact that you said yes to me and took this interview. So – I want to start with, you know, just kind of opening up about, you know, Mike and the drummer. And here's the thing. And and that's what got my biggest, my my attention the most. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. But when you start talking about the music, I'm like, where does music fit in this guy's life? Because I'm a musician and I'm 46 and I've recorded albums. I've done a lot of stuff. I've traveled, but that's not my main thing. And I, and I sometimes battle with where do I put that in? And I hear you, you know, you're going to go to this drum camp. Uh, it's a dream theaters drummer. Is that correct? 
No, no, no. Uh, Mike Johnston. Mike Johnston. Uh, okay. Yeah, who's been a guest on my show like three times now. Okay. So he's he's uh, he's a a world renowned clinician is what he is. Okay. And he doesn't. He sort of he used to be in that whole world. Um, but he's uh, Mike'sLessons.com, man. If you if you want like a great entrepreneurial story, it's Mike'sLessons.com. It's what he. This guy has just created something that they said wasn't scalable and you couldn't do, and he has made it into this giant scalable, you know, six figure a month business. And uh, wow. he's plus he's just such a cool dude. Well, so, so how does that fit in your world? Like what, like, you know, with drumming, like where did it, where, what, where did it start? I know you have different episodes with things you talked about it, but how does it fit now? Like for you as a drummer, like what you're trying to do? Somebody asked me once, um, I do these things called free coaching Fridays and they said, would you rather be a professional like podcaster or a professional drummer? I'm like, are you, is that a trick question? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> of course I'd rather be playing drums. Um, I've been playing since I was a fetus. Uh, I've, I've been, my whole family was, uh, you know, dad was a sax player. Mom was a pianist. Brother's a killer guitar player. I've been playing with him in bands my whole life. Uh, aunt was a professional jazz pianist, two cousins on Broadway, like just the whole bit. So, you know, music was a big deal. I did go to uh, music school for uh, a couple of years, three years, I guess is what it was. Right. And in, um, in North of, Miami, just like a little bit south of Palm Beach. And that was great. I was living in Palm Beach. I was the one straight guy at a, uh, a restaurant where I worked in Palm Beach. And uh, I was a drummer with long hair and there was a lot of models. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so <laughs> there was, that was awesome. And and then that really began, a you know, a, a, a like a two decade, you know, stint of a, a ton of playing and touring and recording. Uh, that was like, you know, nineties, 95 until really, really, I mean, I would still, I still recorded, I recorded last year. Um, so I'm not as busy in San Diego as I was in Denver and Boulder because I was there for 15 years and I had a, I had some roots down and, and people knew that they could call me for a gig. Whereas I've been here for four years and it's been really hard to crack into the almost non-existent San Diego music scene. Right. So it's been a little tough on that. And in fact, I'm just now, um, I kind of putting it out to the universe that I want to be playing a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then in terms of how it fits in my, my schedule or my life, it, it's the whole reason I do what I do is my, my fun and my hobbies. So I make sure, you know, I read a, a quote earlier in this year, uh, by my buddy, Mike Sherbakov. And I've said this many times on the show now, which was, um, don't prioritize your schedule, schedule your priorities. Right. So my priorities are, you know, I want to, you know, tinker and race my car and I want to play, you know, racquetball. I do that a lot and I want to play my drums. So I, I do that. Like I, that's in my schedule every single day. In fact, Right before we started recording today, for the last like 20 minutes, I've been setting up my band mix account, which is like, you know, how musicians find other musicians. Right. And I got into watching my, I have a whole YouTube channel full of videos, you know, drumming videos. And uh, I just got into like watching which videos I was going to put on this thing and, and was like, yeah, you know, I should do more of these videos. So I'm all set up to do them here, by the way. I've got mics and everything here on my kit, but I just haven't done it. But what? point is, from a business standpoint, that so many people, you know, are, are in this sort of grind and hustle mode. Right. And they forget to, to have fun and honor what they do for, 
for to relax. So I find myself not very stressed out because I can, I can always like go, you know what, I'm going to go work on, I'm going to go play my drums for a half hour, an hour or whatever. And it's great. Right. And do you, and I'm sure you probably see that a lot that people are so busy with that hustle that they don't, they, they like abandon some of the things that whether even from childhood, like stuff that was just, it meant so much to them. They get into that hustle and, you know, and I'm big into what you, you know, what your future looks like and where you want to ultimately go. But even I've been guilty of that. And that's something that suffered for me. And that's why it was a big deal for me to want to talk to you about the, you know, just your drumming. Cause I even, talk, you know, you even mentioned, I think on one of your episodes here recently, where I think you're setting it like an intentional time every day, or it's a goal of yours to set apart a certain amount of time to actually play the drums. Am I correct in stating that? Yeah, there's, there's a, it was interesting because I went through this, um, I was practicing something. First of all, I never really practiced. I was always a dude that would just sit down at the drums and put my favorite, you know, album on and, uh, start, excuse me, <clears throat> and start playing it. Right. And I never started, sort of sat and worked on stuff. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really focused on practicing, which has been cool. But I remember this, I don't know, like a month ago or so I was, I sat down and, and there was, um, a 16th note triplet lick that I was working on. Um, and that's for non-music people that just goes one and a one and a two right. and a two and a three and a three and a four and a four and a but da but da but right. And so when you've got to practice that stuff, it's just, you just crank, you just go and you do it a million times over and over and over and over again. Well, this was a particular, um, a particular exercise where I had to do paradiddles and that means right, left, right, right, left, right, right left, left. But I had to do them between the right hand and my and my foot, my bass drum pedal, while my left hand filled in the rest of the triplets. So it goes right. So that's like between the 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 foot and the hand, right? Which was fine. But then my left foot was supposed to be doing just chicken quarter notes on the hat, just the one, two, three, four. And it was so hilariously bad. Like I just could not make my body do any of it. And I was just like, this is crazy how there were so many things wrong at the beginning. You know, like my hand part was fine. I could do right stick and then fill in the two triplets with my left hand. And that was good. But as soon as I did it with my foot and then my left hand, that was awful. And then <laughs> after I even got that halfway decent, getting my, my left foot just to do the quarter notes was impossible too. But here's what's crazy. That was minute like one to minute four. By minute 15... My metronome was like click, 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 click. And I'm just going, I'm just clicking this thing off. And it's, and I'm in this, I'm in this almost meditative state where I'm doing the exercise. And now I'm focusing on where I'm actually hitting the drum and what my hand is doing. Like I, I realize that I have to strengthen my left hand to be able to go this fast and stay smooth. Like, so I'm like, isn't it crazy how 15 minutes ago I couldn't do this at all. And now I wouldn't say I'm proficient at it, but I'm finding it integrated into my regular playing now, which is how, you know, you start to get something, right. you know, all of a sudden that left hand is doing these beautiful little ghost notes between, you know, between hits. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. I didn't even know I knew how to do that yet. You know? Right. So there was something about that regular, you know, let me do this at the very least. Let me take 15 minutes, uh, and, and, and practice. But just this week, Mike Johnston, the, the same guy has come out with this thing called the four stage practice routine. And it's like the first, it's like the first 10 minutes and there's a stage two that's the next 10 minutes. And there's like 
I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes of stage three. And then stage four is, is something else. So it's like an hour basically. But that's my goal is like, I want to do that every day if I can figure that out. Cause I just think, you know, once, uh, once it's done and once you get the thing down, you've got a whole new set of tools to play with. Just like we did what what in, uh, this, you know, entrepreneurial world that we're all in. Right. Right. Well, let me ask you if you didn't have, you know, what do you, what do you say to people who really don't take the time to do what you're saying? Like basically, you know, tap into something like that, get something that it becomes internal. You're actually working on it. It's actually fun. Cause sometimes the entrepreneurial world, it's, you know, it's no fun. There are times it's just no fun when you really are honest with yourself. I mean, it's fun, but you run into some things that are just not fun. And if you don't have the hobby or um, like it, with you and I, it's music. Like when I don't pick my guitar up and I'm not, you know, working on something, if I'm not getting something into me and connecting with it at a deeper level and, um, you know, I, I know what I'm like. Um, if I'm not writing, I got a couple of books I haven't finished. I've been writing. I, hey, Michael, I've been writing books for, uh, I got two books I've been writing for over 15 years, which is a sad statement. My goal right, is to right, have it. Right, right, <laughs> which right. Is, but I need to finish it by the end of next year. I know year. the feeling. Yeah. So I've got to get this done. But what what would you say to people like when they ignore that call for that creative thing and and because they think it's not lending toward where they're going, what would you say to them? Like, it's like they don't know the value of it. Like, they create a conflict. Like, with you, it's a conflict. Like, I got to do one or the other. How do you bring them both together and realize by doing that, what's it doing to add value to the stuff that you are doing? My One of my mentors was this guy, David Wood, who I worked with for um, 18 months or so. And his mantra was always both. Do you, like, do you want this one or this one? Both. Like, that's what he would do. He would always say both. And... It's funny, the higher you go on the, the success food chain or the further you go down the timeline, if you will, the, the more common that is, the more common that the people who are really successful, they say yes first and then figure out how to make it work uh, after that. And so the, in terms of like what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing, it's like you should be doing the things that refill your gas tank hmm. and that make you actually happy. and you have to do some of the things that pay your rent and, you know, and our obligations. It's not always fun at all. You know, right. my, I have, and, and again, another tie into this music thing is I have this goal. I'm, I'm in the middle of doing this launch right now, this new course about interviewing, about uh, podcast interviews and also conversation. And when that course is done and when I, I finish all the chapters of the book, my next like big task is I want to commit to uh, practicing two hours a day on my drums for six weeks in a row. Wow. And I want to see what happens on the other side of that six weeks. But that's like a fun thing for me. That's like a, that's like a, that's how I'm going to reward myself after doing months and months of work on this course and on the book, you know? Right. It's like, that's the deal. Right. You know, you said something earlier, too, which I thought was interesting because, I mean, uh, you know, I, I love your coaching Fridays. They're fun. And yeah, um, you, you I mean, really, you do a great job and I'm not trying to you know blow smoke, but I have admired what you've done. And I coach. I have a, I have a coaching practice as well. And I coach people. And that's one of my favorite things to do. Um, but you said, you know, that, uh, you know, the people that you see that are being very successful, it's like they say yes to it and then they figure it out. Um, another way I like to look at it is, um, a person makes, they make, they, they, they say to themselves first, do I want this? 
It's not, can I do it? It's not, can I have it? It's, do I want it? What What is your take on something like that? Do you agree with that type of a, of a thought? Like, you know, I, I share that with people. What What are your thoughts on that? More of a, do I want this as opposed to coming at it? Well, well can I and will I and is it possible? I, I sort of lean towards the, if it's not an F, yeah, then I don't go down that road. Like, <laughs> right, you right. know what I mean? I feel like it has to be, you got to be super psyched about, we only, well, I shouldn't say, I, I don't know that we only get one shot at this. I think we, I don't know. We, I think we only get one shot that we remember at the time. Um, but I think that if you're going to, why, why consciously put yourself in a, in a situation or a relationship or a business, uh, you know, a partnership that you don't like, why would you keep doing things you don't want to do? Right. Like just cause they say that just cause you like, do you have to have that job at Walmart for, you know, eight bucks an hour, or can you pick up a skill set that is in higher demand? In fact, I just talked the other day to this kid who's in the Navy. We have, a, I'm in San Diego, so we have a lot of military around here. Mm-hmm. And the dude is, um, he's a, he was a welder. He is a welder. Like he, he has this new gig as a welder and he was like, yeah, you know, it's a good job. And I can get, you know, a couple bucks an hour. I said, you know, what you should do is go look at that, uh, that room and board catalog and look at the, look at <laughs> right. the beds that they build and they sell for $1,600 that yeah. are just box steel with, with pigeon poop welding. There's nothing <laughs> fancy yeah. about these things. And I, and I showed him, I brought it up on the, on the, uh, on my phone and he goes, wait, so this is what, and he's like, they're charging $1,600 for this. He was like, it would take me like an hour to do this. I'm like, yeah, exactly. So get your welding chops down and then get out of the thing you're doing for 12 bucks an hour and go make, you know, a thousand bucks for three hours of work. Go do that instead. So I think it's sometimes a matter of people not realizing that there's more opportunity out there than they realize. You know what I mean? Right. And like, a lot of people don't know that what they're, what, you know, that's even an option. They have no clue it's an option. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why I've got these books that I recommend on my show. I call them the sexy seven. Yeah. And the, the idea behind them is for a person like that, the person like that welder dude, if he doesn't know anything about anything, he just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. He doesn't, he, he thinks that what he's doing is, is what you're supposed to do. But when you read some books that tell you, hey, guess what? There's an alternative out there and you don't actually have to suffer with just this, you know, trading time for dollars kind of deal. Right. Uh, here's another way. It really opens up a whole new world. Now, um, <laughs> so I will tell you the sexy seven if you'd like to know them. Yeah, t- yeah because this is a new audience and, uh, you know, uh, I'm loving it. So, yeah, say it. Say the sexy seven for them. That would be great. You guys need this. And I'm, I'm sure Timothy will put this in the show notes so you don't have to write it down while you're going 70 miles an hour down the highway. Yeah, please. So <laughs> uh, book number one and two, both by Robert Kiyosaki. The first, is called, the first is called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. The second is called The Cash Flow Quadrant. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad will give you an idea of how wealthy people think about money, uh, give you the vocabulary, if you will. And then Cash Flow Quadrant will allow you to start sort of speaking in sentences about it. Uh, the third book is called the four hour work week by Timothy Ferris and the four hour work week for me was very uh, instrumental in realizing that I could structure a business in a different way and that I could, it was okay to work from home and, you know, be mobile while I did what I did. 
Book number four is called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Now, um, the E-Myth allows you to, once you start getting some ideas for your, whatever your business might be, this will teach you how to structure it and not to get stuck in that loop of, that a lot of entrepreneurs do, uh, which is like having to take on the role of everything. Yep. Um, book number five is called Strengths Finder 2.0 by Tom Rath. And this is a book that it's essentially a 140 something question test. Uh, you have to buy, it's, it's the only one of the seven that you have to buy brand new because it comes with a special code that you have to put in on a website and you take a test on the website. And when you're finished with that test, it will spit out your five greatest strengths and it is killer. It is really, really good and very accurate. What that will teach you is what to double down on and who to surround yourself with uh, to complement your skill set. Book number six is called Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. It is still, even though it's uh, many years old and some of the, the sites are dated, it is still, I think, the de facto Bible on how to speak to a social media audience in a way that you can connect and grow your, uh, your brand online. And speaking of brand, book number seven is called Zag by Marty Neumeyer. And Zag is when everyone else is zigging, you zag. This is a way to create a unique brand in a very crowded marketplace. And it takes you through a whole set of tests and, and, uh, and you know, skill, skill redeeming kind of uh, uh, quizzes to find out how you can position you and your company in a way that is unique uh, to the marketplace and will allow you to grow the quickest. So that's the seven. Well, cool. And here's the thing. What are three things that change drastically for you with that sexy seven? Uh, I don't have just, I mean, there's a hundred. Um, well, if you could just say three, top three, just so people can kind of just here, look, be, reading those books and, 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 you know, top three that come to mind. It doesn't mean that. They're... I mean, I could, I could do three per book. Uh, let's see. I, I would say mindset around money. First of all, like just overall mindset around money. Okay. Two is, um, uh, how to, how to structure my time in my, in my business, something the, the combo between the four hour work week and the E-Myth revisited was really good for that. And then the, the third is really to reinforce how important brand is to someone who's starting, starting up. Like everyone thinks they can just start and, and start their thing and then add that later. And yeah. that's not the case. It's, yeah. it's like, it, it, that's, it's, it will torpedo a company if you don't nail your brand. Like with a podcast, the two things that matter the most are you nailed your brand and you have good audio quality coming out of the gates. Everything else is kind of secondary to that. Right. Well, but you can, you can you talk to me. Yeah. You can talk to me offline about that to make sure I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'll talk to you, see how I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, you're a host. You know? so. Yeah. Well, speaking of brand, it's interesting. You're going right into that. I'm a big, uh, I have a statement I like to say, is, you know, chameleons take color from the world and our job is to put color back, but we all have a little chameleon in us. And, uh, and that's uniqueness, that brand. And I love that you, I mean, you segued, I, you don't know my questions. We haven't discussed obviously any of this, but, um, it, it, it's that take on it, take on putting color back and the importance of it. And, you know, that whole, where do you think people miss it on, you know, do you feel like they just don't know it's important to understand their brand? Do you think yeah. it's, it's a, they're afraid of it? I mean, what is it to you? What do you, what do you run into so people can understand a little bit more about this? I don't, first, they don't, they don't understand. They don't understand what a brand is and why it matters. And then two, they don't put enough time and effort into developing it and really become like, it's something that 
will typically take months. It's not something you can just crank out and be like, hey, I'm going to start a company with blank. And then we start, we, there we are, we started. It's different if you're a consultant and you start, uh, you know, you start kind of a scaled consulting business, you know, I could say like Michael O'Neill consulting and then, and then go and do something with that, you know, go teach Excel spreadsheets or something and, and then come back and, and, you know, have whatever the Excel guy, whatever it is. But, but, um, you have to, it's when, when people get it right, like one of my, one of the people in my coaching group, um, has a great, great brand for his podcast called beyond bourbon street. And it's a, it's a, um, even if I didn't tell you, I'll just, I'll ask you, I'll put you on the spot. Oh boy. Can I, what is beyond bourbon street? What would that, what, what, knowing what you know. What, well, the what first thing that comes to my mind is beyond Bourbon Street is most people think of Louisiana going down there. They think about Bourbon Street and, you know, and so to me beyond it means there's more, there's more there other than Bourbon Street. Right. Right. So it's like what the show is about New Orleans and, and all the, the, all the other stuff, right? It's all the other history and stuff like that. And it's such, the brand does so much work for him because you just have to see it and you go, oh yeah, I get it. I don't, I don't, I totally get what that means. And when people don't put that kind of emphasis and they don't pay attention to that, they have to do so much work explaining what they do to people every right. single time they interact with them or every time they're, they build the website, you know, and the way to know this is, can you get your, can you get your entire business down into like a six word sentence or, or, or thereabouts, you know? Right. And that's, if you can, then you, it, it sounds like you have a pretty good idea of what the grasp of your brand is. Right. And, and typically that's, I help people that blank do blank. Right. Right. Very simplified. I mean, cause really most people, they don't really care about all the crap you want to spew at them. They want to know that you can connect with them and it, it actually has a place in their world if you're trying to engage them. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, let me ask you this. How much is the, how much does the man or the woman matter? You know, I'm a big, I tell people, don't build your business, build the person first. A lot of people spend their time going, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this scalable. I'm going to do this. And I'm thinking, how much are you growing? How much are you developing? So many people put time and effort into so much of the performance of who they are, but they don't take the time in developing the person. In other words, owning themselves, owning their thoughts, their feelings, their decisions, their actions, knowing that way they can say, I can own my outcomes because I was involved in the decision. Being on the cause side of things and not so much on the effect, you know, things happen, but we don't have to live a life where things just happen, you know? So in, for your world, how do you... I I'm sorry, go ahead. Are you saying like personal development wise? Yeah, like when to bring that into the brand because that person carrying that into, if they're going to start a business as well, you know, it's got to get an identity. It can't just, you know, to, you know, I, I, I like to see people bring themselves into the brand, who this person is. So I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, you know, but I'm the man that that goes into each one of those functions and roles, right? So th there is me, there's this person. So part of that brand, how much do you feel the person connects in, into the extension of it if they are going to do a business or even if they're working somewhere, you know, at, at a company or whatever, they have some kind of lead role or position? Um, well, I think, I think you, you buy, you, you definitely buy people's voice and personality in, in, at least in the online business world and the, you know, the blogosphere, people are going to like, they're either going to like you or they're not going to like you. And the more transparent you are about who you are and, and what, what it is you represent, the, the easier it is to connect with people that will dig you. You know, it's like, I mean, we, you know, you were nice enough to, uh, 
to to introduce me in in all those ways at the beginning of the show. But that's because I'm the same dude. I I don't I I don't have that I don't have a persona, you know, that's on that's on the mic. And I just think people see through that stuff. I think with with current tools, especially Snapchat and Instagram, um, you know, the the whatever their version is that they call it live <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, you can't fake it. You can't just sort of keep this curated version of yourself uh, up up for the, you know, for everybody, because it's too easy to see right through it now. It wasn't always, you know, you That's, could curate your social media presence, but now you got to kind of be there. People are looking for like, they're looking for the live video to see how you actually are and versus like, Oh, this is this. I woke up like this, you know. Right, the polished person, like yeah, it's like wasn't isn't there yeah. like that bitmoji thing where I woke up like this or I wake up like this or something like it's like laying there all perfect, you know. Uh, and 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 you know what? That's great, Michael. You're leading into that because I do think that there is an element where people think it's almost like they think perfection has to actually be there first or some sort of. Um, you know, just, you just show up and you're, you know, I'm like this. I woke up like this. What would you tell mm. people, you know, that struggle with that, that just feel like a piece of crap sometimes they don't feel good about themselves, you know? And I, and is there a time in your life where you just felt like a miserable person and you just, you know, you, you, but you kept going. How do you help? What would you say to people who are listening to help them with that as they're on their journey? For me, my, my downside, my, lowest moment was my parents had just passed away very suddenly within a few months of each other. I had literally no money. I would just gotten my house foreclosed on and both my cars were gone because I was trying to save the house and all my money, pretty much all my money was gone. And I, you know, I was in my mid to late thirties and I thought, God, I've got to, I've got to do this thing over again. Like I've got to literally start over right now. And it was miserable. And it was right around the time that Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, oddly enough. And there was this little, you know, I was I was watching TV or something, and I see this nine-year-old little black kid that's standing on the roof of this uh, house as the water's rushing by. And the story was this kid had lost everybody in his life. Everybody had died. Like his, all of his siblings and his parents and his grandparents were all gone from the hurricane. And he was a pretty uneducated little kid, you know, standing on the roof of this building. And I remember looking at this kid going, you know what, no matter how bad I feel right now, that kid's got it worse right now. Right. That kid has a, is in a worse situation than I am. So I, the, the lesson from that and something I always do and I always tell people, you have to compare down. Yeah. Do not compare up. There will always be someone who is a 21 year old millionaire and, and who's better looking and who has, you know, a, a nicer car or a better job than you guaranteed, but a good, like seven eighths of the planet has it worse than you do. Yeah. Um, there are, I mean, you want to start looking at, uh, things that'll make you cringe you know, start looking at what some of these African warlords are doing to like huge populations of people and, and, and what, what those people have to endure on a daily basis just to live, what kind of, what their water looks like. So you got to just find a way to be grateful for what you have and do an assessment. One of the things I'm going to, I have a whole chapter in my book about assessing your, 
assessing your worth, assessing your uh, your skill sets and what you do. And there's a whole exercise of like literally sitting down and writing down everything you know how to do mm. in any capacity, whether that means raising a toddler to, I know how to drive a stick shift to, you know, I know how to put gas and change a tire in my car and, you know, ride a bike. And I mean, you name it. It's you, I, I want you to write all of it down. And, and then we do kind of assessments. You know, all right, this is our body of work. This is what we got to work with. What can we do with it? You know? Man, that's so, awesome. Hey, listen, yeah. I appreciate your transparency, especially bringing up that with your, you know, your parents and what you went through. But I love what you said. You can't compare. Say that again so everybody can hear that. You can't compare down. You got to, uh, I mean, you can't compare up. up. You, you always compare down. Right. Yeah. That, man, that is, is that is powerful. And, you know, and I love what you say, sit down and write things down. I'm a, I'm, I'm big into that. You know, I was an inner city kid. I grew up, um, you know, when I was little, I grew up in some very rough areas and my family, they're uh, immigrants on both sides. And, um, you know, if I was going to be a flag of nations, it would be the craziest flag you've ever seen in your life because there would be so mm. many colors on it. And, um, one of the things I did, you know, I did not know at the time was because I didn't understand that was everything that was happening inside of me. I felt like things were happening to me instead yeah. of understanding they were happening for my benefit. And, and then once I was able to get some direction on that and put it to work, I realized that there was something greater in me. And back to my even chameleon statement, I was very good, Michael, at taking color from the world. I speak a lot of languages. I learned to get into groups of people and learn their language, even though it wasn't my dominant language. I pick up enough. Any language that was like Latin prefix from French to, you know, the you know Latin type languages, based languages, Italian, Spanish, I would grab those languages and I could fit enough. But then I felt, I remember I was getting that push and that challenge. And I started to understand that I can't, dis I can't despise where I've come from. And I need to embrace that and realize that there are, there are things that I can do. And so part of my chameleon was good. I was able to grab some color and it added to my life. But then there came that yeah. time that I had to put it back. And it's like, I'm, I'm seeing this visual in my mind, Michael. This is, I'm, I'm enjoying this talk with you, man. But I got that visual of that young black kid sitting on that roof and what you went through at that time, knowing what you were going through and then how you're looking at his life and knowing that he has something in him and there is color he can put into this world. And, yeah. and what you're doing in your book to sit down and write and saying to write this down, you know, this is what you want to do and say, hey, sit down, write these things out. What can you do? If you can chop wood, write it down. And that's where I came up with. I'm a leader, communicator and an artist. What would you say if you could tell me based on where you are now? And I know it changes like and, and it, you know, maybe crystal clear. I don't know. But right now, if you could say, how would you describe yourself if you could just use some descriptors? I'm a professional head spinner. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's great, dude. A professional head spinner. So, so, uh, so we don't have to guess. What is that? <laughs> I just mean that, like, I was on a flight from, uh, I don't know where I was going. I think I was going to Hong Kong or something. And, uh, I sat next to this couple, older, little older couple. And, they were both professors. Um, and, uh, we were talking about, they were, they were starting to talk about, you know, what, what it looked like for them. They're, you know, going towards retirement and they were a little bit unsure about what the future was going to look like. And, uh, and we started talking about some of these opportunities that they have in terms of like building an online course and online business and things like that. Well, like for an hour and a half, 
we talked about this thing and they were, their heads were spinning off their head. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I didn't even know this existed. And then I did it again with a doctor a couple of weeks ago, sitting at a bar and she was a surgeon and she was the same thing, kind of retiring, not sure what to do. And I said, well, what if you would do this? And, you know, got into this 20 minute conversation of things that she could potentially do. And she was like, oh my, you know? So yeah, I like, I like that I have the ability to show people that there's, there's sometimes a really a way brighter future than they realized and that their, their, their woes about like, what do I, do I have to go be a Starbucks barista now or something? And then I go, oh no, no, you, you actually have plenty of skill to make plenty of money online. Um, I'll show you how, you know? Right. Right. Well, let me, let me ask you, do you, I mean, as a professional, I think, I mean, I think that's a great explanation, you know, in of who you are. That was cool for me. Uh, I hope everybody else grasps that, but yeah, you spin people around because most people aren't spending the time. I mean, you're basically helping people to think differently. I mean, would you, would you kind of, you know, say that's, that's what you really enjoy? Yeah, I love it. I like to show people that they have more potential than they realize. Yeah. And more options. And more options. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, are there areas that you struggle with being apathetic or with apathy? Do you struggle? Let's see. Um, I don't know. I, I think that apathy is one of the reasons why I moved away from Philadelphia because I remember sitting in this window ledge with my dog, Jake at the time. And I watched this girl buy a drink uh, like across, we had a, a knockoff place called Dairy King um, across the street from me. And this girl ordered like a, a large soda in one of those big, big styrofoam cups, you know? Right. And she drank it. And then she was like, she was walking towards us and then she finished it and she literally just threw the cup in my yard. And I said, I said, Jake, we got to get out of here, man. <laughs> like the apathy of this town is not what I want. I don't want to live in a place like this. And, uh, and so we bolted, but, um, I, it's like, I, I don't think I'm apathetic about anything. I think I always have an opinion. I'm pretty opinionated about things. I'm not always empathetic. Right. Cause I, cause at some point I'll say, you totally did that to yourself and you were <laughs> warned. And so like, there you go. You have to deal with it now. Um, but I know, I don't think I'm ever apathetic. Who are some heroes for you, for Michael? You know, because there are a lot of people, and I'm going to be pushing people to your show, and I have been, just so you know, before I ever launched my podcast, I've been telling people, listen to this guy, Michael O'Neill. He mm, gives you, nice. I, I just love what you do, man. I love the way you open your show, and I'm sorry I don't know a verbatim. Uh, you know what, how you do your intro. But I love how you say, look, you know, it's a little of this, a little of that. You know what I mean? I'm going to give you some things you can take away. There's some, yeah, you know, right. that's what you do. And I love that, man. You're real, and that's the one thing that I wanted you for was I wanted to have a conversation with someone who's not impressed with themselves that they well, I'm very impressed with myself. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not impressed with yourself with the way you when you're on the when you're doing your show, you, you know, you're confident, but it's it's you have work to do and you let everybody know you're working on stuff. So that's impressive to me that you recognize it, even though you are moving along. You know, not many people get to do some of the things you do, but you don't take it way too serious, I don't think. No, I don't. Okay. That's true. So, Very true. Yeah. So with that, you know, who are these heroes for you, man? Like, like name some people, and even in different places, like, you know, because some people are afraid, like, they think that they got to have a hero only in the thing that, that interests them. 
Who are, who wow, are some I other? I have any of those. Um, geez. I was, you know, what's really funny. I was thinking about Oprah today. I was like, I'd like to meet Oprah. I'd like to talk to her. Right. That'd be a cool, that'd be a cool chat. Um, Howard Stern, probably if I was going to be like, if I would have stick to broadcasting, I think it'd be really interesting to talk to him. Um, uh, who else could be a hero? Um, I, I wish I had, I don't think I have a lot of hero worship, unfortunately. Um, or even just influencers. Let's just yeah, say voices. Uh, Sting, Who are voices? Sting, I would love to meet Sting. Okay. Would be cool. Um, Sting would be a good one. I'd still love to meet both dudes from Tears for Fears. They're, they're my favorite oh, band yeah. of all time. Everybody. I'm actually going to go see them. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go see them at Red Rocks uh, on oh, October really? 3rd. Which I'm so psyched about. Yeah. You know, one That'll of my cool. favorite one of my favorite albums is U2 live at Rev, Red Rocks. Mm. And I looked at the uh, there's a here's a little piece of trivia. It, so Red Rocks is in Red Rocks is in Morrison, Colorado. So right. it's not too far from like the Coors factory. It is a, a natural amphitheater built into huge Red Rocks. And they've literally like carved out an amphitheater from this spot. And that you've got it's a magical place. It's a magical place to see a show. It's a magical place to play a show. And the there's a tunnel that they that they bored out from under the stage that goes up into the sound booth. It's like right in the middle of the audience. Right. And on in that tunnel, everyone you've ever heard of that's picked up an instrument has signed it. They really? have written on the wall. Yeah, I mean, anything from Bob Dylan to U2 when they do live on, under Blood Red Sky, yes, Dave man. Matthews, the Beatles. I mean, they're all there. And in 10 years ago, in, in uh, August, I had the chance to play Red Rocks, and that was amazing. Who'd you play with? Was, so, it, was it just your own band, like an opening Yeah, thing, local or? band. Yeah, local band. Um, so it was, it was amazing. And it's, it's, it was the second most nervous I've ever been on my drums. <laughs> okay, well, since and you're saying the, that, what's the first most nervous you've been on your drums? <laughs> oh, it's a whole story, but it was, uh, I was, uh, <laughs> well, you when I was in- You can't say it's a whole story and then skip it. You got to say it. You got, now uh, you got to say it. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. Um, I was in music school. I was living in Palm Beach. I was working at this restaurant called Narcissus. And there was a, a there was, they had live jazz seven days a week. And the- Tuesday band had a, a, they were, they were called, um, they were David Palladino and David Palladino would sing like Sinatra tunes. He would sit on his, uh, his stool and have like a, a real book in front of him. A real book is like a, right, a book of books. standards. Yeah. 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 Real book, fake book. And they, um, they would just bust out these great big band kind of tunes. They had like a little mini big band, which was cool. And I can't remember how it, I, I of course had befriended all the drummers from all the bands and I, uh, I can't remember how it came about, but I ended up sitting in with them on Tuesday, uh, on well, some one Tuesday night, we played a song called mercy, mercy, mercy with, uh, with that band. And the thing is there was a band on Thursday night that played, they were called Bobby Tynes and the heavies and Bobby Tynes is a Berkeley sax graduate, just an absolute fire breathing beast of a sax player wow. who had surrounded himself with the best musicians in South Florida. I mean, every one of them was just gigantic, including the drummer who's still one of the best drummers I've ever seen. His name was Etienne Fuentes. Hmm. And he was like, at the time he was like 35 and from Cuba and had been playing drums for 33 years or something like that. It was like, he was just a monster player. Wow. And so I go and I sit in with this Tuesday band, this big band, David Palladino, we play Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. 
And Bobby Tynes happened to be in the crowd that night. And he was hanging out by the, the host booth. And he walks over. He goes, dude, I didn't know you could play like that. You got to come and play with that song with us on Tuesday on Thursday. And I was like, all right, you know, fine. That sounds great. I did not at all take into account how nerve wracking it would be to sit. Because Etienne Fuentes was like my drum hero. This guy was like, he was so good. And, and the other drummers at my music school, we'd all come and just go to the show on Thursday to watch him play. And he would do something. We'd all like immediately look at each other and make eye catch like, oh, Dave, you know. And so now I'm waiting tables and they call me up. Um, they say, hey, uh, we're going to get uh, Michael O'Neill to come down and uh, sit on this song with us. And everything dropped. I was like, oh, and I just went. And I must Everything played, was sweating, right? <laughs> oh, my God. I must have played the grossest mercy, mercy, mercy anybody had ever heard. I was, I mean, my hands were shaking trying to play in front of this dude who I loved. I still hear his ride symbol, how good it was. And, um, and that was 23 years ago. Um, and, but good enough that they invited me back multiple times. So I played a few times uh, with the band, including on my 21st birthday, which was really cool. Like my parents had come out. And so I got to sit in with the band on my 21st birthday. And that was like my big birthday present for 21. So there's, you there you go. Told you that was like 10 minutes. That's an, well, that's fine. That's an awesome story, man. I love it. Well, you know, what's yeah. interesting. I got a podcast coming out with a gentleman named Marcus Anderson. He was Prince's last major solo saxophone player. And he, wow. and he traveled with me back in the day. He's young. He's a young guy. And uh, you can look him up. And he just hit the Billboard number one uh, not too long ago for instrumental jazz. With oh, a, cool. W- and I'm plugging it for him anyways, but it's Cup of Joe. Look up the song Cup of Joe. Okay. Uh, Marcus Anderson. And I may even tell him so he like needs to. jazz? Oh, like play on my drums yeah, kind of thing? dude, this guy is, listen. I'm going to tell you, he played with Prince and he's out with CeeLo Green right now. So, All right. yeah. So this guy is, he's, re- he's ridiculous. So what if he's on title? Say again. I wonder if he's on title. I don't know. I, right, you, right you just need Marcus to look. Marcus Anderson. Yep. Marcus Anderson. Cup he's, of Joe. Cup of, cup of Joe. Yep. Yep. That's him. All right. And he's a, he's amazing. And so he's someone you may want to talk to. So I'll even, you know, later on, we'll get offline. I'll give you some of this information, but you'll hear my interview with him and he talks about that. But man, you're, that's the thing that I love is see, you're a real guy. That's what I like. People don't understand that. They don't understand that. Uh, too many people that are, you know, I mean, you're making waves out there, Michael, you're doing, you're, you're, you have impact. You're doing some incredible things. And so are other people, but man, you've got an audience, you have all these things, but you're really relatable. And and, and that's why I even want to mix some of this in. And I'm excited. We're talking around some things that are common. I didn't want to be typical and standard with you. I didn't want to do that. Um, didn't know how this would go because we've never spoken before. But this, to me, is what really matters. People need to hear some of these things. And this is, to me, the uphill journey, the ride-along partner. That's that's what I tell people. Let me be a ride-along yeah. partner with you. Let me just come along, be a person. You know, you're going to go through bumps and bruises and different things like that. And I love your stories. And I love what you say. And that's important to me. And what I want to do is I have a few things I've had people ask me. And I figured what better person to ask than Michael? Okay. This, these questions for, for this. This is like, this is, is this our tornado round right now? No, no tornado. I don't do that. Dude, I'm not that sophisticated. I don't have, you know, JLD rocks. He has that, which I did reach out to him too. I got to wait till October. He told me. So, um, very busy. Yes. And so. There are people that they don't understand inner circle and the importance of an inner circle and who's in it. What does, what does an inner circle look like for you? In other words, the trusted voices, 
that you, you know, you know, what, what does that look like for you? You know, a lot of people, you know, I tell people Facebook, you know, I got, you know, if you have 10,000 people following you on Facebook, they're not all close to you, but you let's get away from Facebook, get away from those things. But those voices near you, you know, how do you encourage people, uh, to figure out what needs to go into that inner circle? What types of voices do you need around you? Are you saying like the five people that influence you the most kind of thing? Correct. Um, yeah, little, something like that. A lot I don't of know if like you mean personal or business or how it's it just, you know. just in your life, you know, just being next to you, people that whether it's your business or it's just you personally, that you know you can trust them no matter what, you've just got to build that circle. It's not easy, period. Um, I, I have just divorced people that are that that don't have that same mentality. I I I've divorced everybody that isn't in the business of improving themselves every single day in one way or the other. And the ones you, you know that they're your inner circle when something bad happens to you and they're not the ones that say, let me know if I can do anything. They're the ones that just do things. Those are the ones that are the actual inner circle. And having gone through what I've gone through in the last few years, uh, yes, there are people that sort of pass that trial by fire kind of test. They're the people that call you Versus, you know, send a text message every once in a while. They're the people that, you know, um, that you can rely on. They're the ones when you say, hey, this is important to me, and then they're there. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what I think inner circle means. Okay, that's great. That's great. And then also time wasting. That's a big one that I have a lot of people asking me about. You know, they 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 kind of feel a little bad sometimes where they're trying something new and they go, am I wasting time or you know, how do you figure out, Michael, when you when you're wasting time and when you're not? So it's you know, obviously, it's not just sitting there with you know, binge watching 15 hours of Netflix, okay? But but when they're going, am I? You know, they're trying to figure out, does this matter? Should I be if I'm going to spend this much time into it? Am I wasting time or am I, you know, going in the right direction? Does this work? You know, is this going to be something that is transferable into the things that I'm trying to accomplish? Like what, what do you, how do you discern that and figure that out for yourself? I kind of never feel like I'm wasting time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If if I'm sitting down playing solitaire on my phone, it's because that's what I want to do right then. I think that's part of it though. It's the, the part of the whole thing is how you, if you've managed to figure out a way to, to build a pretty cool life for yourself where you can do the things you want, then there's no such thing as wasted time. I, you know, I think that, uh, if you, if you start a new endeavor and it doesn't work in a certain amount of time, then yeah, you got to re, you got to kind of, uh, reframe it maybe and look at it again. But that's why you join a coaching group like solo lab or something, you know, like I have a group that is just for those kinds of things where you get someone else's opinion on it. And you, it typically cannot be your friends and loved ones because they're typically not wired like you and they've not done the reading that you have and they don't understand what it means to be successful if you're trying to be a solopreneur. So that's why you got to find other people that are, that are doing what you're doing and, uh, and, and find out from them, like, how long should I give this thing? You know? Okay. Okay. And this is going out on my podcast on, it'll be probably Monday, this coming Monday or the following one. Cool. So instead of coaching Friday, you're actually doing coaching, which is cool. (laughs) Yes. So, um, you know, and I love coaching. So, um, really quick, this is the last one for you here. Being relevant, aware, and well-informed is something that most would agree is fairly important. 
And this is a question I had from someone. How do you find the balance between staying aware of all that is going on in the world, yet not becoming consumed or depressed by all the negativity? In other words, what do you do then to not let yourself get consumed and depressed by it? Well, I don't pay, I don't pay any attention to it. Uh, I have two news sources, maybe three. Mashable.com is my one. Whatever's trending on Facebook is my two. And if I listen to Adam Carolla, it's Gina Grad is number three. Um, and that's it. I don't do any. And sometimes I'll listen to NPR, but I find like actual news pretty depressing. Right. And the other thing I don't, I don't consume a lot of other like entrepreneurial content at all. In fact, most of what I listen to is comedy. So I think that uh, that has allowed me to be sort of ignorance is bliss in some ways. Um, now, that's not to say that I don't know about pop culture because Mashable does a pretty good job keeping people in touch with uh, the kind of pop culture that I like. But I don't know. I think you could do most. I think you can do most of the heavy lifting with one good website, whatever you decide to go with. Uh, I don't love, um, you know, I don't I don't love like super political, uh, you know, politically leaning kind of. You know, obviously, like some news sites are super right leaning, some are super left leaning. I just don't get into much of that stuff. It, it's mostly the the difference between smart and dumb people. So I just don't bother. <laughs> yeah, it is, man. It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> it is really scary. We have a lot of dumb people. <laughs> yeah. Well, Michael, uh, you know, uh, you know, what's what's uh, if you tell me in the next six months, what can because uh, I'm going to push people to you, obviously. And of course, I would love your support in the future. And um, but what's what's six the next six months? What's on what's on Michael O'Neill's table? I'm gonna finish this uh, finish this course. I'm about to launch right now. That'll be September. Uh, I don't know, sometime mid September. I haven't decided probably the exact date. My beta starts like tomorrow. So that's um, it's called the Art of the Interview: How to Be a Better Interviewer on the Mic and a Better Conversationalist in Real Life. So that's, that's the first thing. And I'm hoping that will be like a, a, a legit launch. So I'm excited about that. The book will be in May. It's called Unemployable or some derivative of that. And that will be a, a user's guide for, you know, figuring out how to take your skills and your hobbies and make them into uh, a, a job of some sort or a, a business, a career. And I'm going to be playing some drums. And otherwise, I don't have a lot of uh, major goals. I'm doing a lot of speaking so I'm actually speaking um, at a podcast conference in Philly next week, and I've got stuff in Austin, and then I've got Thrive coming up in San Diego. Thrive uh, is going to be great. We've got a killer lineup, and I'm I'm going to be the MC, so it's my first big MC gig. Well, that goes which with, be really with your comedy too, because you're I know yeah. you you love some comedy, man. <laughs> I do, I do. So I'm really hoping to I'm really hoping to give some value and hopefully be entertaining on the old stage. Um, and, uh, what else is going on? Oh, I did just get a, an invite today to go stand on. So when you guys hear this show, which is going to be Monday, right? I will be in Washington, DC, uh, on the field for the Redskins versus Steelers game. And I'm going to be, I have to be a secret Steelers fan that day. I was going to say, I'm what so side sorry. of the field were you going to be on? No, it's with a photographer, so I'm oh, going to be really? all over the place. Okay. So I can't actually wear any Steelers swag. I'm going to have to wear something under my shirt. That's right. That's right. You your, know, your original is uh, is Pittsburgh, so you kind of have that's that right. in your blood. It's in your blood. That's right. 
You're, you're, so I you're black and yellow and you're black and stand gold. Stand on the field for Monday Night Football. That should be pretty damn cool. Well, just don't intimidate those uh, Redskins, man, because, you know, they're they're working on it. They're trying. They're trying. I'm 5'8 and full of muscle, as they say. <laughs> well, that's why I'm 5'10 and, and I don't nice. know what's going on. <laughs> you know, we share a name. My middle name is Timothy. Oh, really? That's, that's well, right. That's cool. See, well, there there's that connection, too. Now, the one thing you're going to hate me for is I'm a Pats guy. Yeah, that's pretty lame. I thought I liked it. <laughs> this is over, right? We're it's only done. Pats Ravens. Here, let's listen to uh, Cup of Joe for a second. Ready? <laughs> there you go. Play it. Here it is. Nice. Dude, I'm going to tell you, and I, I need to yeah. send him to you. You need to, I'm telling you, you need to talk to this guy. He is amazing. I'll talk to him. And his story is incredible. The way Prince connected with him, I traveled with this guy when he was 18 years old. But anyways, Marcus, you got to talk to this guy. And when you find out how Prince invited him, and Prince, mm -hmm. before he passed, which will be mm -hmm. my episode, I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but before he, you know, passed away, he told Marcus, the day is coming when the world's going to hear your music. And then literally after that, the dude becomes number one on the billboard charts. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Awesome. So, awesome. yeah. So you're, that's one of the things I, I knew there's a big connector. I mean, there's many other connectors that we have and I hope we can continue to uh, get to know each other down the road. And um, I just want to say thank you again for your time. This has been fantastic for me and uh, you encourage me. Uh, you know, and, and, and I say this in a very respectful way, you, you're a hero to me in a, in a way of what you've done and how you have really represented, um, you know, a, being a true and authentic voice. And so, and that, that means a lot to me. And you're one of the people that gave me the confidence to be able to listen to, learn from, I already had a voice, but then finding how to get it out here and start with what I'm trying to do now. So you're just one of the, there's a lot of voices, but you're one of the few that actually helped to create the constellation that I have been keeping my eye on. So mm. I really do appreciate you partner. You're, you're a really good guy. And, um, I really thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, man. I receive all that. That's really, really sweet of you to say those words. And, uh, those sometimes, you know, sometimes it's hard to take compliments, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations, and I thank you all for listening in as we've had this great talk with Michael O'Neill. All of his information will be in our show notes. And always remember, your current condition does not match your emerging future. And remember that you can be more, do more, and have more. And most importantly, myself and guys like Michael will see you on the hill. Take care. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you would like to hear more, subscribe to the show. Go to uphillconversations.co. Later on, speak.